You guys ever talk to yourself out loud? Yeah, I figured there would be. I all the time. Like, it's almost embarrassing. Like, I have, I told you I was going to do this, Ken. I was going to trip it, trip over it. We'll just move that over there. I mean, I have full conversations with myself. Sometimes I'm like my own best and worst confidant, right? I talk to myself a lot. I have arguments with myself. Sometimes I even let myself win. But what are we actually saying? What is that monologue that continues to go on in our heart? What are we saying to ourselves? What is that inner monologue that always starts running from the moment that we wake up in the morning where our eyes aren't even awake, right? And we start thinking thoughts and we start hearing things. When do we listen most to ourselves? Usually when our souls are saying all the wrong things. Sometimes we can just perpetuate this negative and uncorrect and unbiblical thinking in our heads by continuing to listen to ourselves. And we can work ourselves into quite a mess, can't we? Joy goes right out the window. And we forget who we are and we forget who God is. A lack of joy comes in. A Christian with a lack of joy is kind of like an oxymoron. It, it doesn't really, those things are... are they're in conflict with one another. We as Christians should have the most joy that goes through all things. But yet we all struggle with the lack of joy. And so what do we do? I'm glad you asked that because the psalmist is going to tell us all about that in Psalm 42 and 43. I know you guys were nervous when you saw that I was taking two psalms. But don't let your hearts be troubled. It is not that long and we're going we're gonna to make it. Last week we saw in Psalm 41, David rounding out the last few psalms with a common theme where he's been physically sick because of sin, because of God's judgment on him for his sin. We said last week, we're free to call on God's grace, but spiritual integrity is required. We need to be an authentic follower of God who shows grace to others, who confesses our sin, who seeks God's justice and more are all required to, to call on God's grace. This week we transition. Most of you will probably have a note in your Bible that says this begins book two of the Psalms, just the divisions there from the Hebrew Bible. I will do my best. I, I by default think that David wrote all the Psalms, but David didn't write this Psalm, and so I ask for your grace for the 300 times that I will probably refer to this Psalm as written by David. It is not written by David. It is written by the sons of Korah, you might remember Korah from the Old Testament, Exodus. If you haven't read the story of Korah, great and completely freaky story, right? They rebelled against Moses, they rebelled against God, and the earth literally opened and swallowed them up. Well, not all of them, because evidently there were some more sons of Korah as well. So their line kind of uh, uh, still maintained, and now they are involved in the worship of the temple. They're responsible for that. This might even be their choir that they are having this song written about. It's a song about depression. So I guess that makes it a blues song. <clears throat> Dad joke. Okay. We all have those times, right? We all have those times of depression. We all have dark days. We all have dark moments. Maybe we have dark weeks or months or maybe we have dark years. The fact is that everyone struggles 
with depression, with a lack of joy. Let's see what our psalmist says. Verse 1, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm starts out very familiar words as the deer. If you were a youth group kid in the 80s or 90s, you sang that song about 3,000 times by a campfire, right? I don't know if you're listening. Ron gave us a little shout out. Corinne gave a little shout out to that as we were transitioning, just to put that in your head, right? The idea of a deer in the wilderness during the summer dry heat, almost dying of thirst, panting, and then finally reaching a cool mountain stream and being able to just drink and quench that thirst. It's like the psalmist's soul is spiritually dry, thirsting for God, the living God. And he says, God, when am I going to be able to be with you? When am I going to be able to reach that spiritual stream where I would be able to quench my dry and weary soul? As we'll see in a bit, he is physically separated from God. He's physically separated from the temple, from his people, and he needs to be with God to quench this spiritual thirst that he has. Life has a way of draining us, doesn't it? Life has a way of, of causing our soul to be dry and thirsty. We feel the pull of sin. We feel the pull of evil. We feel the pull of, of being in this world. And we need to seek to be replenished in God. We could try to satisfy that thirst in other ways, but like drinking ocean water, it's really actually never going to satisfy us. It's just going to make us more thirsty. In the end, it's going to kill us. We need to make sure we're drinking from the right well, the right stream, the pure, crisp water of God's grace. The psalmist has a very dry soul, a depressed and grief-filled soul. In verse 3, he tells us that tears have been his food day and night, a very Hebrew poetic way of saying, all I've been doing is crying day and night. Many of us have had seasons like that where we're just crying, where we're, we're grieving the loss of a loved one or, or something else, where it just seems like that's, we cry until we have no more tears left. Mel and I attended uh, a, a, a viewing of someone who passed away this week and just coming up to the husband and just asking him how he's doing. It was his wife that had passed away and just literally that sense of just been crying. I just been crying. Like there's nothing left, but I've just been crying. This is what we're talking about here. This kind of day and night grief that follows you around. And then even worse, his tears kind of turn on him and say, well, where's your God in all this? You know, if he's really real, he probably should have done something about this. He's like mocking himself. His tears are mocking him, saying, where is your God? But in his grief, as he is pouring out his soul, he remembers a time where he was once joyful. 
He has this flashback. When he'd go to the temple, the text says, when he'd go to the feasts, when, as a matter of fact, when he would lead the people in procession, like a worship leader leading in song, leading in the feasts of, of their great God. He said, with glad shouts and songs of praise, thousands of people gathered together and he would be with them. And he remembers this time when he was joyful and full of gladness. Many of us, if we struggle with those dark days, sometimes if it hangs around long enough, we tend to think, yeah, remember that? Remember like last year when I was happy? Remember last year when everything was going better than it is right now? That's what the psalmist is saying. He remembers this time. But the psalmist has a secret weapon. Look at verse 5. This is, this is this refrain. He talks to himself. He says, why are you so cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Did you catch that? He stops listening to himself and he starts talking to himself. He stares his soul soul straight in the face and says, soul, what's your problem? Why are you depressed? What reason do you have to be to be in turmoil? Here's what you got to do. Hope in God. Because guess what? Remember those times where I was in procession and I was doing those things at the temple? That will happen again. God will raise me up. I will be joyful again. I will praise him again. So take that soul. Listen to that. He commands his soul. This phrase will repeat three times in these two Psalms. And he does that intentionally. That's why we take Psalm 43 as well. Most guys think it was actually part of the same Psalm to begin with. And those will mark out our sections today each time this refrain happens. But our psalmist is fighting for joy. He's not laying down. He is not giving up. He is fighting for joy. And I hope we will learn three ways in which to fight for joy this morning. And the first one the psalmist tells us is to fight for joy by remembering God and his people. Fight for joy by remembering God and his people. Sometimes we can develop this just kind of fatalistic attitude about darkness, about depression, about fear, worry, anxiety, about those things where it's just like, oh, well, it's here. I guess I'll just lay down and take it. I guess I'll just be miserable for as long as it's around. The Bible tells us otherwise this morning, church. We can fight back. We can fight for joy. We can stare at our dark soul in the face and we say, what's your problem, soul? What do you have to be in turmoil over? Why are you so downcast? God will bring me out of this and I'm going to hope in him. And the first way he fights for joy is he remembers God and he remembers God's people. You could say he, he kind of remembers God's church because that's what it was. He would go to church. He would go to the festivals. He would remember being in God's people. There is no such thing, church, as a Christian who is not committed to his local church. It just doesn't exist. You guys all know that because you're here this morning in the heat. You get extra Jesus points for that, right? <laughs> Physic, there are no extra Jesus points, just making sure we know that. Right? But, but a Christian has to be committed to a local church. It's part of the lifeblood. And when he is down, when he is depressed, he remembers what? God's people. He remembers the church. 
But the psalmist also says in verse 2 that he seeks God himself. We, of course, can also seek God privately. That's kind of the error sometimes. People say, well, my church is in my house where I have my Bible and it's just me and God. Or my church is in my fishing boat, right? My church is on the golf course, which nobody's church is ever on the golf course because if you play golf, you know how terrible that is. Nobody plays golf well, right? We have private means of grace in and of ourselves, and we have public means of grace with the church. God's given us both, and we need both private means of grace, and we need both the public means of grace. The public means of grace center around the church, what we're doing right now, public worship. The psalmist is missing that right now. He's missing the fellowship. He's missing rubbing shoulders with other believers in God. He's missing being encouraged by them to live faithful lives. It's part of what we do when we get together. We see each other. We, we reconvene every week on the Lord's Day and we look at each other and we remember, yeah, they're living the same life I'm trying to live and we're being encouraged by that to continue to endeavor to live lives that are worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. It means serving in the church. It means being known and knowing others. It means in fellowship together. That's a very special word, fellowship. Sometimes we misuse that word, right? Sometimes it's like we can get together and watch football and it was great fellowship. That wasn't actually fellowship. That was just hanging out. There's nothing wrong with hanging out. But it's not fellowship. This is fellowship. This is koinonia. This is people coming together, sharing in the Spirit, understanding what's going on, being challenged, growing, sharing in the work of the Holy Spirit. We, in church, we sing praise to God in musical worship where we are reminded of His grace through the lyrics. We're exhorting one another through th- psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Reminding each other of biblical truth. We're praying together. We're being prayed over by the elders. We observe the sacraments and the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism. We also sit under the instruction of His Word, the preaching of God's Word, and we let the Holy Spirit do its work. The Holy Spirit is uniquely present when the church gathers together. The Holy Spirit is here among us. Why? Because we're all little temples of the Holy Spirit. When you put them all together, it makes one big temple of the Holy Spirit. That's a unique thing of of a public means of grace. That's why if you've been away from church for a while and during that horrible period and COVID and all that nonsense, right, and we couldn't gather or didn't gather or whatever, you feel that in your soul. Christians need to be with other Christians. We need to be in worship together. But there's also private means of grace, and sometimes people think of that, and maybe they think of that as elevated, more important than the public means of grace. It's not. They're both essential. But we need private means of grace. We need to read God's Word by ourselves in the morning with a cup of coffee. We need to be praying or tea. We need to, we need to be praying, seeking God. We need to be meditating on His Word, memorizing His Word, soaking in His Word. We need to be fasting. We need to be doing all those individual spiritual disciplines. Private means of grace as well. We need to be doing the hard work within ourselves of putting sin to death, of growing in holiness. This is what I do as a pastor. I spend all the time in pastoral counseling just reminding people of stuff they already know. I don't have an original thought. I just point them back to the public means of grace and the private means of grace. Right? And I love to do that. 
I tell people things they already know, but they've lost sight of it. Why? Because it's dark. And when the darkness comes in, we lose sight of the obvious things. And we've got to be pointed right back to Jesus Christ, right back to the public means of grace and the private means of grace. And in that, we fight for joy. We fight for joy by remembering God and remembering His people. So if you are struggling with a lack of joy, church, we have a weapon. We have a lot of weapons, but one of the weapons is to take our soul in hand and speak to it and say, why are you so downcast? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Remember God. Remember God's people. Remember who God is specifically. Remember his attributes. And the psalmist is going to go on to tell us more about God's attributes in his fight for joy. Verse 6, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, watch this, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon and from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. I shall yet again praise Him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist again is in the first section. First, laments his current position. Right? This is real nitty-gritty stuff. Right? Psalms are worship in real life. We, we go to God with our grief. He laments it. He's not hiding anything. He says, I've been crying 24-7. That's all I've been doing, right? Tears have been my food. Now he says, I'm overwhelmed. But yet we see glimmers of him fighting his way back to the surface as he says, guess what? I'm deeply depressed, but what do I do? I remember you. Well, yeah, I'm in it, Lord. I am in the swamp, but I remember you. And there's a little glimmer of fighting for joy, reinforcing his first thoughts of fighting for joy by remembering God. But he also claims to be in the land of the Jordan and, and Hermon and Mount Mazar. Straight up, we don't know where Mount Mazar is. Nobody really is sure about that. But the idea with, with Hermon, especially with Jordan, is that what, he's not in Israel. So he seems to be actually physically separated from the temple and from God's people. And he longs to get back to them. It's like he's in exile. He's in spiritual exile. And of course, we could overlap emotional, spiritual exile where we just feel separated, where we just feel disconnected. He feels abandoned. He goes on and he says, God, I'm drowning here. I'm overwhelmed. I'm in this deep and my troubles have gone over my head and they're trying to sink me. And verse 8 again is a key. He fights for clarity and he fights for the truth. He says, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life. He fights for clarity and he fights for truth. He says, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. I pray at night, he says, to the God of my life. Church, can we just pause for a moment and look at the continual care of our Heavenly Father? 
Can we look at the providence of our God? It literally says, day and night, God is with me. But he just said he abandoned me. Why did you abandon me? Now he's bouncing back, right? That's part of the Psalms. They're totally schizo. They keep going back and forth. But it's, it's real life. We have those moments of, God, where are you? And then we have these moments of, you're here. I know you're here. He reminds himself. But day and night, God cares for you. Day and night, God cares for his children. How many times do we wake up in the middle of the night and automatically, right, thoughts start playing, anxieties start playing, and what do we do? It's a great time to pray. And that's what David said, or David, psalmist says. He says, I pray. I pray. You know, if you're like me, like my eyes will open and I'll look at my watch quickly to see what time it is and how that relates to what time I have to get up. And then if I fall asleep in the next five minutes, I can still get, you know, four and a half hours sleep and all that stuff. I try not to think too many thoughts or anything because you don't want to wake up too much. It's a good time to pray. Psalmist continues to fight in verse 9, but he lays it out there. He says, why have you forsaken me? Why do I go around mourning because of my enemies? They're taunting me. I'm mortally wounded, and they mock me just like my tears mocked me, and they say, where is your God? Where is he? You're a mess. You're one hot mess. Where's God? So great. You're down for the count, and guess what? You have your enemies now circling you like buzzers, mocking you. Like, that's going to help. They say, God is gone. He's not helping you. You're abandoned. It's, and, then, and then look at verse 11. The familiar battle cry once again where he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Again, he stands to his feet. Again, he looks his soul straight in the face. And he commands his soul. He says, what do you have to be upset about? What do you have to be depressed about? Don't you remember who God is? And he commands his soul, hope in God. I will get back up. This will pass. He will pull me out of the muck and the mire. The psalmist fights for his soul, and he fights for his soul with the right view of who God is, and he knows God, and he knows God is faithful. He knows who God is. He knows his Father will not forsake him, even though it feels like it. We have to cling to God in those moments. We have to cling to God and His character. So our second way to fight for joy here is fight for joy by remembering God's faithfulness. Fight for joy by remembering God's faithfulness. God, or God's Word, is is full of reminders of His faithfulness. We go on and on and on finding verses that tell us about God's character being faithful. Even in our text today in verse 8, it says, The Lord... And in your Bibles, it should be in all capital letters, L-O-R-D. And what that means is that's Yahweh. That means the covenant special name of God. And so he invokes that word, he invokes that title rather, for who God is. And he says, I know who you are. You are my covenant faithful Yahweh. I know you are faithful. I remember your faithfulness. And he says again, And Yahweh commands what? His steadfast love. That is that thick Hebrew word chesed, which means steadfastness. It means loyalty. It means um, honor. It means 
it's impossible for God to be anything other than faithful because that's who he is. And this is how he reminds himself of this. We talked last week of God, his attributes being the definition and anything we see then is the derivative of that, right? In fact, we only know faithfulness, how? Because we compare it to God. Anything that's faithful, we compare it to God who's perfectly faithful. He is literally, church, the definition of faithfulness. And when we are faithful, we are reflective of God. Now, we're not going to be perfect in our faithfulness, are we? That's why we do what the psalmist does. We remember who God is in his perfect faithfulness. The, the psalmist is reminding himself of the nature of God's faithfulness. And he's almost confused. It's like, why, then what's going on? Why have you forgotten me? Why am I still struggling? You're faithful, God. I don't get it. When are, when are you going to rescue me? I know who you are. I know you're going to do it. And we know that God is faithful. We fight for joy by remembering God's faithfulness. And church, what is the ultimate way that we can go back to to see God's faithfulness? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. We say that if God did not spare his own son, how will he not also together with him graciously give us all things? You question how faithful God is? He sent his own son to die so that we could be reconciled to him. That's how faithful he is. And so in those moments of darkness where you're not sure like the psalmist, are you faithful? Are you there? Church, look to the cross. Remember the perfect faithfulness of God. This church is the rock that we have to bring ourselves back to when the darkness comes calling. But we're still surrounded by enemies. We're still surrounded by wickedness. We still have to continue to entrust ourselves to God. And that's where he goes next in the next psalm. Look at Psalm 43. He says, Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet again praise him my salvation, and my God. The psalmist cries out, vindicate me, God, defend me, help me. Against who? Who does he need this defense against? Right away he tells us. There, there's ungodly people. There's deceitful and unjust people around him. Anyone ever feel like this? Like we're surrounded by deceitful and unjust people? It's literally the air that we breathe. Maybe it's your job, maybe it's your school, maybe it's in your own family. People who are opposed to who you are just because you're a Christian. The psalmist knows what that feels like and he lets that drive him to God. All the more he says, I'm surrounded by evil, God, so I'm coming to you. 
I'm surrounded by evil, so I need to remind myself of the ultimate goodness of who you are. You are the one I take refuge in. There's a very big sense, church, here, that, that the darker the world gets around us, right, the more we have to cling to the light of Jesus Christ. It should, it should well up in us that desperation. Like, it's scary out there. We don't want to be out. We want to be, we want to be with you, God. The darkness of the world, don't let it create despair in you. Resist that temptation. Let it drive you to God. Let it drive you to God in that. But the psalmist is also, again, lamenting. Same pattern, right? He is letting it all hang out. He is telling God what is going on. He's lamenting to God directly about all this. He says, God, why have you rejected me? What's the deal? Where are you? Why do I feel rejected? Why do I feel abandoned? Why am I still going around in mourning while all my enemies mock me? He doesn't hold back. And we shouldn't either. In our times of the private means of grace, in our times of prayer, in our times of being in God's word, we can be on our knees and we can be saying this to God. Where are you? What's the deal? Why have you rejected me? When are you going to rescue me? When are you going to vindicate me? This is a lesson for all of us, church. We, we go to God with our pain. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows the thoughts that are in our head. Why not share them with him? Instead, what do we do? We run away from God. No, let this, let this pain, let this darkness drive it to God and then express those, biblical word, lament those heart pains to God, just like our psalmist is telling us. And then the psalmist says something interesting. He asks or commands or begs God to send out his light and his truth. And he says, God, let them lead me. He says, let them lead me to you. Let them lead me to your holy hill. Again, speaking of Jerusalem, where, which is up on a hill where the temple is, the temple mount, where he can be with God, where I can praise you in song, where I can remember what it's like to praise you in song on musical instruments and sing to you. And you see the way, church, that the psalmist is fighting hard for joy. He is real. He is honest. He is lamenting, but he remembers. He fights his way back to God, and he remembers him. And he calls on God to lead him. In verse 5 again, he comes back to this recurring theme, the battle cry of fighting for joy. Talking to his soul, why are you downcast? Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God. I will yet again praise him. The third time our psalmist says that, and the third way to fight for joy, according to our text today, we fight for joy by following God's lead. We fight for joy by following God's lead. And the psalmist cries out, lead me. I don't know where I'm going. I can't see. <clears throat> and I don't even have the energy to try. He says, send out your light and your truth so I can see where I'm supposed to go. Sometimes we can over-mystify like God's leading, right? And we overthink God's will and we pray, is this God's will? Is this not God's will? One of the main ways that God leads us, church, is circumstances. It happens. Here it is. It's God's will. It happened. We just trust. We trust. We remember. And we say, God, send out your light and send out your truth so that you can lead me. And God can lead us 
toward things or God can lead us away from things. But most of all, He leads us toward Himself and He leads us away from sin. That's why the psalmist asks for light to see His way and truth to keep Him on the right path. He says, lead me. First, the psalmist asks to send his, God to send His light so that he can be led back to God. It reminds me of, of shepherding, that idea of, of leading sheep. There's an old hymn called Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. And of course, most famously, we remember perhaps Psalm 23. The great psalm, the shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. Besides still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Church, because the Lord is with us, we shall not fear. Because the Lord is leading us, we shall not fear. And we fight for joy by following that lead. But here's the thing. How can we know where God is leading if we're not with Him? If we're wandering over here and dealing with sin or whatever else, or, or we're, we're, we're just... We're cutting God out of this trial in our lives and everything. How, how are we possibly going to know where God is leading us? One of the first things I say to people who's like, I just don't know where God, what God wants me to do. I don't know my next step. And I would say, how much time are you spending with God? And uh, I don't know. How about doubling it? How about tripling it? You want to hear where he wants you to go. You got to spend time with him. You want him to lead you. You need to be with him. And you need to be with him a lot. But the psalmist also asked God to send out his truth. And we need the truth to see our way through the darkness away from sin. Because remember, we're surrounded by evil. Just like the psalmist. And the ultimate way that the Lord is leading us is always away from sin. Then we can be with God with a clear conscience. We can receive the forgiveness won for us when Je or from Jesus when we need it. And we could submit to God in worship as we fight for joy by following his lead. Church, do you see the responsibility on us as believers? It's in this psalm. The psalmist is not just waiting for this magical osmosis to come over him and then he'll feel happy again. He says, get after it. He says, you've got to be with God for him to lead you. You've got to listen You've got to watch for his light and his truth. Don't give in to the victim mentality here. The real temptation is to give in to the victim mentality, which is all over our culture. We've got to fight for joy. Discipleship is a war. The world wants to paint the victim We've been oppressed, we've been suffering trauma, we've been marginalized, all of the psychological buzzwords that you want to put in there, right? And I'm not taking away from anyone's actual trauma, but I'm cautioning us against playing the victim. Because here's why. Jesus didn't necessarily die for victims. 
He died for sinners. We've got to remember that. The cross forgives our sin when we place our trust in him, but we're never just called to lay down. We don't see this here. And don't buy the over-psychologized lie of the culture around us. Instead, we need to own our sin. We need to make a beeline for the cross of Jesus Christ, and we need to fight for our joy. Three times in this passage, these two chapters, we see the refrain, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. I will praise him again. The psalmist doesn't listen to himself. He talks back to himself. And so where does that leave us? Hopefully, I can sum up things this way. We fight for joy by talking to yourself instead of listening. We fight for joy by talking to yourself instead of listening. And so church, we fight for joy. We fight for joy by remembering who God is and remembering his people. We fight for joy by remembering God's faithfulness. We trust in him. We ask him to send his light and his truth. We trust and we fight for joy by letting him lead us and submitting to that. And we fight for joy by talking to ourselves instead of listening. And I want to be real careful here. This is not, I have not gone new apostolic revolution. I've not gone uh, prosperity gospel here. I am not talking about speaking things over your life and creating your own reality and blah, blah, blah. It's not that, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about speaking truth to yourself from God's word of who God is and who you are in light of that. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a medical doctor who turned pastor. He was born in 1899, and he had much to say on spiritual depression. He wrote a very, very helpful book by that same title. And so I I, I can do no better than to quote the doctor here. So I'm going to quote Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's a bit of a long quote, but hang with me, because he talks about this psalm. He says, have you realized that most of your own unhappiness should be in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come into your head the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody's talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, the psalmist's treatment was that instead of allowing himself to talk to him, he starts talking to himself, saying, Why are you downcast, O my soul? His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment, and I will speak to you. The main art of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You've got to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. You have to preach to yourself. You have to question yourself. You must say to your soul, Why are you cast down? What business do you have to be disquieted? You must turn to yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God. Instead of muttering in a depressed and unhappy way, then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, what God is, and what God has done, and what God has placed himself to do. Church, We get encouragement from the great men of the past. This is how you fight for joy. 
Instead of listening to ourselves, we talk to ourselves. We stand up to ourselves. We preach the gospel to ourselves. We remind ourselves of who we are in Jesus Christ. And we say to ourselves, sometimes I just have to say it out loud just to hear myself say it. That's a lie. That's a lie. And I remind myself of the truth of who God is and who I am in Him. We fight for joy by talking to ourselves instead of listening. We can fight for joy, church. We can talk to ourselves instead of listening. We can remember God and His people and remember His faithfulness and follow His lead. And that's how we fight for joy like the psalmist did today. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your grace. We thank you for the Psalms, Lord, as we read them and we just see how raw they are. Lord, the, the psalmist just pouring out his heart, talking about how depressed he is and tears have been his food day and night and he's wondering why you've abandoned him and rejected him. Lord, we thank you that you are a God with big enough shoulders that we can do that. We can come to you and pour our hearts out, Lord, but let us do that. Let us come to you instead of seeking refuge in other things or instead of uh, withdrawing into ourselves. Lord, we pray that we would remember you and your people. We pray that we would remember your faithfulness. We would pray that, that you would lead us with your light and your truth. And we would pray that we would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit talking to us. And we would talk to our souls and remind ourselves of who you are and who we are in light of Jesus, our Savior. We pray it in his name. Amen.